You're listening to the South Dakota Bankers Association podcast. Thank you for tuning in. This week, SDBA President Carl Adam is joined by Jim Edmond, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency Cybersecurity Coordinator for South Dakota. I'm fortunate to, to be here today bringing you the Bank Squawk podcast with Jim Edmond, works for the United States Department of Homeland Security in the Agency of Cybersecurity, and he's the Cybersecurity Coordinator for South Dakota. Jim, welcome, and thank you for participating in an SDBA Bank Squawk podcast. Thanks for having me, Carl. Yes. Long, long time listener, first time participant. <laughs> well, very good. We're glad to have you. And subject matter today, Jim, is cybersecurity. We are very grateful for the work that you and your agency does on behalf of many industries, including South Dakota Bankers Association, providing us with very insightful, meaningful tips that we provide our membership on a weekly basis. But as we kick off our podcast this morning, why don't you share with us a little bit about CISA? CISA stands for Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. We're probably the youngest federal agency out there in just a little over three years, formed uh, very recently. Our goals, our vision is a secure and resilient infrastructure for America. It's that simple. As you mentioned, We provide services to what we call critical infrastructure sectors. Uh, We've classified 16 different areas of our society as critical infrastructure. Obviously, finance is part of that. The energy sector is part of that. Healthcare, water, even government, you know, is one of those critical infrastructure sectors that we provide strategic and tactical services to from primarily preventative mode. I'll talk about that in a little bit here, but I want to talk about the government aspect of services that we provide and one particular component of that is elections. You know, we have an upcoming election coming this year. It's a critical aspect of the services that we provide to ensure that our elections are safe and secure and that uh, the American public has trust in our democracy. We spend a considerable amount of time with our elected officials, our Secretary of State, our county auditors, working with them to make sure that the process and the procedures and the technology, if there is technology involved with them, are all well safeguarded. So that's a critical aspect of CISA. We have four subject area expertises that we focus on, obviously cybersecurity, physical security, emergency communications, and then chemical regulation. So we have subject matter in those four expertise areas uh, across the 16 critical infrastructure sectors, a considerable amount of time in providing preventative services to those, you know, an ounce of prevention equals a pound of cure working with folks from a cyber perspective, protect themselves ahead of time, physical, you know, emergency calm, and then chemical regulation also. So we're, again, a young agency in the federal space, but provide a lot of good services to try and help assist uh, America's economy here. Jim, very, uh, very good background. Thank you for that. And, you know, as you indicated, just 
you know, the youngest uh, federal agency, but it's kind of been trial by fire. I mean, it hasn't been that long ago that the concern for cyber, it's popped up with a vengeance. And we've seen it in, certainly in the banking industry. You indicated other critical infrastructures, government, the election process, and so forth. So we appreciate everything that you do to assist us. Can you share with us what the most common attack methods in cybersecurity are these days? Yeah, sure, absolutely. There's three methods that are usually the, the most common ones for breaking in, okay? If you think of a burglar, you know, breaking into a house, you know, opening the front door, picking the lock, breaking the windows, that sort of approach. In the cyberspace, you have email phishing. Okay, it's been around for a while. It continues to be one of the most popular attack methods. You have software vulnerabilities, maybe on version 10.x of a piece of software, you know, on your computer. Well, the current version might be version 15. Well, that's a big gap in there in security vulnerabilities. The last thing is this thing called uh, remote desktop protocol, which is an aspect of technology that lets somebody remotely connect into your computer to do software work on it, to update software, maybe fix a printer, add software, whatever it may be. But those three areas are really the primary technological threats that occur today. Again, phishing, you know, getting somebody to click on a link or click on an attachment, we can get folks to spend an extra three to five seconds to just look at a message, look at the sender, who it's from, look at the email address, we can go a long ways towards improving that particular attack vector and, and minimizing it. You know, software vulnerabilities, in 2020, three out of four, every compromises that occurred via the software vulnerability category had a patch for it. It's kind of the old axiom, you know, the police show up and ask you, you know, how come you ain't had your car stolen? Well, I left the keys in it. Well, you know, kind of a little obvious in why your car got stolen. Why did you get compromised? Well, we didn't upgrade our software. Keep it updated. It goes a long ways towards protecting yourself. Then the last one I mentioned, RDP, you know, that's really common. I'll talk about ransomware attacks here in a little bit. Very common in attacking RDP to getting access to a network. And you just need to have a qualified uh, technologist make sure that that's configured properly. You know, so those three items are the most common, email phishing, software vulnerabilities, and then RDP. Very good. Very interesting, Jim. You know, and again, I think the common theme there that you indicated is complacency. This is upon us, cyber concerns as individuals, as business people, as associations, as government, and so forth. One rule of thumb primarily is can't be complacent. We need to take the extra three to five seconds checking the sender, are they familiar to you, so on and so forth. Take those extra steps to protect yourself. Very good. So, Jim, help us understand what the landscape threat looks like today. There's a couple of aspects to that, Carl. First of all, you need to understand that we are under attack 
our businesses and our homes and our you know, personal accounts are under attack on a daily basis from the cyber sphere, from the world. If you're connected to the internet, you're a target, you know. If you're connected to the internet and you're a large bank, well, you're probably going to be a bigger target than you are going to be Carl Adam connected to the network, you know, at your house, okay. And from a nation state perspective, need to understand that China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, all have cyber armies that are on a daily basis attacking various aspects of American society. Whether it's financially in banks and in trying to steal money. Why do bank robbers rob banks? It's where the money is, okay? Why do these countries attack us? Well, financially is certainly a big reason. Um, steal our intellectual property. You know, there's a certain nation state out there that would much rather steal our intellectual property and our inventions and our engineering than to create it themselves. Okay, that's a big risk in and of itself. The other area, you know, militarily. We have a lot of things, a lot of capabilities with our Department of Defense and our Army, Air Force, Navy, etc. Our so-called friends around the world, you know, would love to know what the plans are in case of a military response. So that too is attacked on a regular basis. 25% of all compromises that occurred in 2020 had an espionage-related uh, aspect to it. That tells you how big the challenge is from a nation-state perspective. So that's the number one threat, is the nation-states. Number two is this thing called ransomware, okay, and that's the scourge of the industry these days and having an organization's digital assets stolen and then encrypted and so then you have to pay you know if you don't have good backups you have to pay somebody to get your own data back and then by the way you're gonna have to pay them so that they don't share them with the rest of the world too so being cognizant of the nation states that are out there that it is a, a daily issue if you're on the internet and number two being aware of ransomware we see three to five entities per day get compromised with ransomware in the United States. I mean, that's awful. And that's more than likely a quarter of all incidents that occur. You know, so it's more likely 20 per day, but that's all that we hear about. And so to protect ourselves, we just need to be better. You know, as you said, you cannot be complacent in this field. You have to be better today than you were yesterday. And by the way, what are you going to be doing tomorrow to make sure you're better than you are today? Very good, Jim. Thank you for that explanation. So what are some steps for organizations and individuals that they can take to protect themselves and, you know, their financial institution? Well, first of all, you got to prioritize cybersecurity. It has to be part of your business plan, your strategic plan whatever it is that is guiding you, okay? Your executive meetings on a monthly basis or your board meetings, there needs to be a conversation in there in regards to cybersecurity because it is such an important aspect of people doing business these days. 
you know, whether it's online banking or whether it's shopping online, whether it's communicating with friends and family online, it all has a technological aspect to it. And so, especially in the finance sector, the finance industry is a huge target. Probably next to the energy and government, it's in the top three. And so being able to defend yourself against those attacks needs to be prioritized. But, but the good news is that it can be done without significant amounts of effort. Okay, we talk about kind of our five pillars of cybersecurity hygiene. First of all, it's the human element. Okay, making sure that your staff is trained and educated on social engineering, on phishing, being able to recognize phishing attempts, being able to actively hit that delete button rather than clicking on the attachment. That's the first item. Secondly, you talked a little bit earlier about software vulnerabilities. Turn on automatic updates. Make sure that your software is current. When you go home tonight, you're more than likely going to take the keys out of your car. <laughs> you're going to lock it. Okay, do the same thing from your computer perspective. Make sure that it is current and up to date with your software vulnerabilities. Next is this thing that we call identity management. Talk about passwords. You know, use complex passphrases. A long passphrase is better than a short password. Be creative. The lights are on outside. You know, mix in uppercase, lowercase, numbers, special characters, those sorts of things. We have this thing called multi-factor authentication. You know, something you have and something you are. You know, you're going to have a password, right? But you're going to have a thumbprint. You're going to have another form of authentication. Your banking industry is very good at taking advantage of multi-factor authentication because online banking is so convenient. You and I have no problems walking down the street and going into the bank. When was the last time our kids were in a bank? Not very recently. And so the industry has done well to adapt to that, but it needs to keep evolving. It needs to be better today than it was yesterday. You know, then there's this thing called assessments. How do you know how good your defense is? If we're playing sports and we practice against each other, and we tend to get tired of beating on each other, right? So what do you do? Practice against somebody else. You try and get better. Have somebody from the outside do an assessment of your organization. What are you good at? What are you not so good at? Better for you to know what your weaknesses are than for your adversaries to discover what they are. So doing those sorts of assessments, uh, doing phishing assessments on a regular basis, that's going to educate and train your employees and it's going to make them better. There's nothing wrong with uh, taking an assessment and determining that. And that's one of, you know, to kind of plug CISA here, one of the things we do, we have very good strategic assessments and we have some good tactical assessments. There's some very good companies in the state here that also do their own form of assessment. So, you know, take the time and investment and get an outside perspective and what you're doing good and what you may need to improve on. So those aspects really add to the fundamentals of cybersecurity. They will make you better and it's not necessarily a significant cost item either. You know, it may take a little bit of time, but if you put the time into it, you're going to be better.
Jim, um, all great points and certainly ones that resonated with me as a former banker. And again, thank you for the plug indicating that the banking industry, by and large across the country, and certainly here in South Dakota, has done a good job of maintaining and upgrading their infrastructure, their cybersecurity patches, vulnerabilities, and so forth. But again, it comes back to complacency. You're never as good as you were you know, yesterday, you have to be better today and better the next day and so forth. So those are some great suggestions and great points for all of our member banks. And one other thing that I should note is the banking industry is also, you know, has an outside assessment called a regular IT examination. Mm -hmm. So our regulators come in and do some of those assessments for us. And I know that a lot of our individual banks also use third parties to come in and do penetration tests and so forth to look for vulnerabilities. Your point is spot on. Identify it yourself before bad guys do. So thank you for those points. I'll follow up on that. The organizations need to understand there's a difference between compliance and security. I mean, when I worked at state government, I mean, we were audited all the time by folks. Just because you're compliant doesn't mean that you're secure. And because you're secure doesn't mean you're compliant. You got to have both. You got to have both seats at the table and being compliant against the regulators and being secured with your infrastructure. No, great points. Great points. So we have some larger community banks here in South Dakota. And oftentimes in our large organizations, it's safe to say that they've made the investment in having IT, information technology uh, professionals on staff. Some of our smaller institutions uh, don't have that. What do you suggest our smaller and medium-sized institutions can do to help protect themselves in the context that you're sharing? The first thing is to recognize what you're good at and what you may not be good at, okay? And IT and cybersecurity is a field that takes a depth of expertise in it, okay? And you cannot be afraid to reach out and ask for help. You know, I mentioned earlier that there's some really good IT and cybersecurity companies in the state, um, nationally. You need to have them on call. You know, you need to create a partnership with them in regards to their area of expertise and how they can help you. I find it impossible for a small or medium-sized business whether it's a bank, a hardware store, a grocery store, whatever it may be, they're not going to have the expertise in IT and cybersecurity. And so you you have to recognize what you're really good at, then you need to get help on that other side of that coin. And you you have to realize that because a ransomware incident can take you out of business. It can completely shut you down and there's no need for it. I mean, uh, again, an ounce of prevention is a pound of cure. It'll go a long ways towards protecting yourself, saving you tons of grief. Look for those partners out there to build a relationship and to help improve your company. No, great advice, Jim. Thank you for that. So as we look beyond this election year, 2022, 50 days away from the election, this will continue. But what do you anticipate, what does CISA see as additional future threats? The first aspect of that is what has worked in the past is going to continue to work in the future. Okay, Until we get smarter on email phishing, 
until we regularly patch our machines and until we get better at configuring our RDP, those things will be there. Why? Because they work. That's the low-hanging fruit. Yes. So Mm -hmm. until we are able to go in and eliminate those threats, this is a good feeding opportunity for the bad guys right now in just those three areas. Yeah, those three. Coming on the horizon, we all use a browser in some manner, you know, whether that's Chrome or Firefox, Safari, Edge. The browser is becoming the focal point of computing these days. Within that browser, we're starting to see more and more things called plugins added onto them. That that's going to be a future attack vector. We need to get software developers to slow down and frankly build a better product. Not emphasize effort into the timeliness and the feature aspect, but instead do it from a security perspective. So browser, software development, security, this thing called supply chain. Mm-hmm. We had the pandemic and nobody could get anything because everybody was home from work. Well, that supply chain aspect in the software development world is becoming a significant concern. Making sure that Microsoft is putting out safe and secure software. Adobe, you know, when you find your banking software that runs your business, your accounts, customer relationship management system. How do we make sure that the people making those systems are putting safeguards in them to protect them? That's a huge issue. That's a challenge today. Then the last thing looking out even further would be this thing called quantum computing. How do we make sure that as technology gets so good How do we make sure that it's real? How do you differentiate facts from fiction? How do you encrypt better than the bad guys can decrypt? So lots of of challenges, certainly in a fun but good industry to be in these days. You know, every day is always a challenge. Yeah, Jim, those are, uh, again, it's a great overview on um, what's happening today and also as you see cyber in the future. And not to end our discussion on kind of a sour note, we've given some great uh, conversation today as it relates to how can we be preventive? How can we preempt these types of issues in our, in our banks and here in South Dakota? But in the unfortunate event, if you are compromised, what do you do? What do you recommend to our banks? Well, I think the, the first aspect is to make sure that you have an incident response plan, okay? Disaster recovery plan, whatever you want to call it. If Mr. Murphy shows up, what are you going to do? You know, when we were kids going through school, we had fire alarms once in the fall on the coldest day of the winter and then once in the spring on the hottest day. An incident response plan is just a fire drill plan for IT, okay? and. Who are you going to contact? Who are the important people that need to know? What's the inventory of your IT assets? What are those most important things that you need to run from a business perspective need to be in your incident response plan? 
and one of the first aspects of a plan is going to be, you know, you're going to call the FBI, you're going to call your sheriff, you're going to call the police department and notify them. The, the crime has committed doesn't do any good to try and brush it under the rug at that point in time. How can you get back up and running from a bank perspective, from a business perspective as quickly as possible? Make sure that your plan has the resources ready to engage to get you up and going. And it's only going to benefit you and your customers in the long run. Well, Jim, that's a, a great summary. Incident response plan. I know all of our banks in South Dakota have worked diligently on, on those. They pay close attention to those. They just hopefully they never have to use them. So Jim Edmond, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Cybersecurity Coordinator for the state of South Dakota, it's been a pleasure having you today for this uh, second edition of the Bank Squawk Podcast. We'll look forward to doing this again in the future. All right. Great to see you, Jim. Thanks, Thank you. Carl. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Thank you for listening. Join us again in a few weeks when Carl sits down with Brett Offdahl, Director of the South Dakota Division of Banking.